0: Blessed Easter. Uh, it is a beautiful day and uh, a great day for us to be reminded of uh, uh, what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So, last week we began looking at John chapter 11 and we saw that word came to Jesus that his friend Lazarus, the one he loved, was sick. Uh, Lazarus was the brother to Mary and Martha. And as uh, Jesus hears this news, he delays precisely because he loves his uh, friends, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And also because he um, he loved us and he loved his disciples because he wanted to do something there in Bethany where uh, Mary, Martha and Lazarus lived. uh, That was profound. And so he delays for four days And then he arrives. And as he's arriving, coming into town, Martha hears that Jesus is coming. She runs out to greet him. She has this kind of rebuke where she says to him, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Uh, And yet uh, Jesus says to her that he is the resurrection and the life, right? Uh, And so as Jesus grows uh, closer to Bethany, uh, uh, the word reaches uh, Mary. And Mary comes uh, to greet him as well. And so that's where we're going to pick up today in in reading in John uh, chapter 11. So uh, verses 28 through 53. Uh, Let me read that text. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered to council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in them. And the Romans will come and take away our, b- 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 both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people. Not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we read this incredible story of you entering a cemetery, entering a graveyard, uh, and uh, being Lord of life and death, calling one you loved out of the tomb. Lord, you know our weakness, you know our temptations, and you know that we are but dust. And yet, Lord, you remember that, and you remember us as dust. You remember our dust. You remember the dead. And so today, as we celebrate your resurrection, I pray that you would give us hope that none who have died uh, in you are ever forgotten by you. And just as you came that day, and called Lazarus out of the tomb, we look forward in eager anticipation to that day when the silence and the loneliness of death will be broken forever by your loud shout. Give us hope in that today we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's a crazy Easter, isn't it? Really, really, really crazy. Um, honestly, uh, it'll be a quieter Easter this year, uh, probably uh, than what we're used to. Um, and I can tell you, sitting here, it's quiet here, terribly quiet. Uh, nine of us in this giant space. And I wonder uh, in many ways what uh, what God has to say to us in the quiet. Most of us, many of us, we don't like quiet. Um, One of the things that we've figured out about our technology here is that it doesn't like quiet either. So that when there's no noise coming from the stage, it makes its own noise. That's a great piece of technology for us, (laughs) because it's much, much like how we are. Yeah, it is quiet, uh, but you know, I have to think this morning, uh, as I think about uh, this Easter, that it's as quiet as it is here, Uh, it's still not as quiet as some places. I came across an essay this week that I thought was pretty profound by Kevin Williamson, a, a a writer that I like a lot. And he says this all around the world, or at least in the parts of the world, rich enough to maintain such chambers of life-saving horrors. There are strange, quiet little rooms where deathly sick people lie in silence with tubes jammed down their throats to help them to breathe. They're terrified. What is it like? It's like being buried alive, some of the survivors say. And so in the terrible silence, hardly anyone speaks. And it's certainly those folks with the tubes down their throat, they can't speak. And honestly, maybe in that moment, is there anything that you could say? In that terrible silence, uh, there's only the hiss and the whir of the ventilators and other medical machinery and kind of the plasticky trash bag sounds of doctors and nurses shoveling, shuffling between patients in science fiction-looking protective gear, their faces behind shields. Those who die in those rooms die in that silence and often alone, away from those they love. In an antiseptic hell beyond anything that Dante even could have imagined. And yet today, into that silence, just as Jesus did that day in Bethany, he speaks. That is the claim that Christians make on Easter Sunday, and indeed on every Sunday, that God himself became, for his own reasons, for reasons of love, a gradually dying person like the rest of us. I love that phrase, a gradually dying person like the rest of us. That he would offer his friendship to be abandoned by his friends. That he has subjected himself to torture, death, and burial so that he could meet us in the silence of our deaths and in the silence of the tomb and in the silence beyond it that the terrible silence of that place would not be final. Neither the little silence of our days nor the great silence at the end of them is the final word. And so as I think about this this morning, I imagine how quiet it was in Lazarus's tomb and how quiet it was in Jesus's tomb. And I imagine how lonely. And yet that loneliness and silence did not keep Jesus away. More than that, Jesus must have known, as we read here this morning, that by coming to Bethany, that it's only two miles from Jerusalem, and that by doing what he would do to love his friend Lazarus, by calling him out of the grave, that it would draw deadly attention from the authorities there in Jerusalem. So in the middle of a family, a village, indeed a world full of grief and death, Jesus Christ announced that he is the resurrection and the life. But not only did he announce that, he demonstrated that in the, in the text that we've read this morning, by overcoming the death of Lazarus, and as we are celebrating today, by himself rising from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. It was deathly quiet in that tomb, I'm sure. But the quiet, the silence of death could not drown out the life-giving call of Jesus when he said to Lazarus, and for our benefit, Lazarus, come out. And so as we think about that today, I want to make some pointed comments and applications to what we believe and celebrate today. Now, for some of us, uh, this day, uh, for all the religious significance we tried to load upon it, is going to be a big disappointment. Let's call it out, right? Uh, no Easter egg hunts, maybe. No grandchildren sitting on the laps of grandparents. No family gathering, large family gatherings. No big church gatherings. Uh, Gathering where we can wear our beautiful spring clothes. Right. Maybe no Easter baskets for the kids or at least that they could go and share with others. Right. And so. We should call that out and no doubt I am not mocking those things at all, because clearly, clearly some very good and very dear things have been lost today. We should grieve those losses. We really should. Uh, But the story today is precisely a story for those who feel the loss and maybe even, if you're honest, struggle with believing. Struggle with faith. This is a story for us. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, by this time... He's going to stink because he is four days dead. Lord, if you're so good, how can this happen? Lord, do you really love me? Where are you? It's kind of hard, isn't it, to gin up some sort of joyful faith that we think we should have. And look honestly at what's going on uh, in our lives and in our world today. But here's what I want you to understand today, because there was very little faith in those people gathered in that cemetery in Bethany. Uh, Very little faith. And and I, you know, John's very simple, and he says, you know, he goes out there and he says, roll the stone away. And, and, And Mary's like, he's gonna stink. What are you doing? I don't you, John's very simple in that. I don't know what Jesus had to do, what he had to threaten or whatever to get the people to actually do that because nobody believes he is going to do what it is he's about to do. There was also little faith, actually no faith in that cemetery where Jesus was buried that first Easter Sunday. John writes Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That, that last sentence might be one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. They've just went into the tomb. It's empty. And what did they do? They went back to their homes. You see, Mary Magdalene is seeking the living among the dead. Actually, she's seeking the dead among the living because she believes, as I think we are tempted to believe, that death and the curse is more powerful than Jesus. But maybe this morning you're like Peter and like John, you're just simply confused. Well, here's the thing, and this is the thing that is so precious for us today. Listen, we do not make Easter. Easter makes us. We do not make Easter Easter with all of our pomp and our celebrations, as great and as awesome as they are, and and how much more will we do that next Easter, right? But Easter is Easter whether we celebrate it or not. Jesus rose from the dead. And frankly, it wouldn't matter whether you and I acknowledge it or not because it is an objective reality that we celebrate today. Tish Harrison Warren, uh, another favorite writer of mine, writes this, The truth of the resurrection is wild and free. It possesses us more than we could ever possess it, and it rolls on happily with no need of us, bending to, uh, bending, not, never bending to our opinions of it. If the claims of Christianity are true, they are true with or without me. That is at one time humbling and exhilarating, right? On any given day, my ardent belief or deep skepticism doesn't alter reality one bit. You see, the bane of our age is that something is only valuable to me if I think it's valuable to me or if I can make it personal, subjective. What matters is what it means to me. And the import of an event or a thing only is important if it's important to me and I can fill it with meaning and importance. Now, certainly the death and resurrection of Jesus is personal, but its value is so much greater than the self-expressive value that I place upon it. We must be careful that we not reduce the resurrection to something that's important because I make it important or because I celebrate or because I have some kind of particular relation to it. We must be careful that we not make it some kind of inspirational thing where, oh, I, you know, I, somehow or other I look to the resurrection just simply to make me feel better. For many people, I know it's, it, you know, Easter falls in the springtime and it, it, it kind of reminds us of a springtime story of renewal in nature, a renewal of spirit that calls us just to be better, happier people. <laughs> it's like a drug, except if Jesus really didn't ra- wasn't really raised from the dead, that drug that we look to to make us happy is just a placebo. It has no power. It has no effect, really, except what I give to it. I remember years ago going to a, a, an Easter sunrise service uh, with uh, some friends of mine and uh, being stunned when we were talking. One of my friends said, you know, I want to I, I, it's not Easter unless I sing Christ. The Lord is risen today, which I, you know, in some ways, I totally agree with that. What a, what a wonderful hymn. And I said, yeah, we really, you know, what a powerful thing that Jesus was raised from the dead. He's like, you don't believe that, do you? And I said, well, why would we sing it if it wasn't true? He said, oh, we sing it because it's symbolic of the fact that good is better than evil, that we hope that's better than hopelessness. What a placebo. But through the silence of this quiet Easter, one thing I do hear, and that is the groaning of creation in the middle of this pandemic. All you have to do is look at the images of overwhelmed hospitals and morgues. Look firmly, as I have probably too much, at the collapsing global economy. And you can't help but feel how fragile our lives are. Just look at how much things have changed, really changed. And I think we're just beginning to figure that out in just a matter of a few weeks. What you and I need this morning is not some sentimental thought of hope built upon some vague aspiration of renewal and rebirth. I don't need a metaphor or a symbol. You can have them. I need death to be overcome. And if that is not what happened in that garden tomb 2,000 years ago, then to quote one of my favorite authors, Flannery O'Connor, and bear with me this morning, I I can't help it, but I I just got to say this. She wrote this. I think it's so true. If the resurrection is a symbol only, then to hell with it. Honestly. We literally are in the middle of something where the stakes could not be higher. But the truth is, we always were and we always are. This crisis just makes us more aware of it. Just think of the destruction being wrought in our world and in the destruction that is still to come. And so when I think of that, and I honestly, I try to think of that as little uh, as as possible, it becomes clear to me that that we place our hopes in, in so many crazy things. Listen. Hydroxychloroquine is not the hope of the world. Checks in the mail from the government is not the hope of the world. A vaccine is not the hope of the world. As good as those things are, the resurrection of Jesus is either the hope of the world or it's not worth our time and energy. But I'm here this morning in this near empty and almost quiet room to say this. If Jesus did rise and praise God, he did. Then everything about this world and us has been changed forever. You see, this event that happened there that Sunday morning is the pivotal event of history. And it is that whether we have a church full of people or not. Think about it for a second. When Jesus rose from the dead, there was virtually no one to notice. On that day, most of Jerusalem, indeed, the rest of the world, went about its business. Do you think this event had any impact on Caesar's day in Rome? Probably not. And nevertheless... Everything had changed. A man whose heart had stopped beating. Whose cells had begun to be broken down. Who had experienced rigor mortis in his joints. Got up from his tomb and walked out. And almost no one noticed. In fact, the resurrection was not even live streamed. And yet, it is the central fact, the central event, and the only hope of the world. Uh, Warren goes on to write this, The truest fact of the universe this Easter is not the ever-climbing death tolls, emptied churches, or overwhelmed hospitals. The truest fact of the universe is an empty tomb. Let me say that again. The truest fact of the universe is an empty tomb. The resurrection is the only evidence that we really have that love triumphs over death, that weakness prevails over strength, and beauty outlives ashes. If Jesus is risen in actual history and in time and in space with flesh and fingers and bone and blood, there is hope, real hope, not a placebo hope, but real hope that does not disappoint, that our mourning will be comforted and that the silence of death will not get the final word, that we will live. And death will die. Would you pray with me? Lord, we we come to you today in the midst of uh, a strange and disorienting time. And um, it is, uh, uh, well, it's it's difficult for us. But you know that about us. You knew that about us. Uh, And that is why you entered this world and took upon yourself our death. Lord, I pray today for uh, the sick, for the dying. I pray today that in the midst of their suffering, uh, they would see and know you and that their loneliness and that the silence of their sickness and suffering would be shattered by your words of comfort, of love, of grace and power. I pray for those of us today who are struggling just to make it. Who are overwhelmed with anxiety about loss of income. Loss of work. uh, Maybe even loss of our right minds. uh, That you would speak peace and grace and power. And that this quiet event that happened in that cemetery so many years ago would by your spirit fill us today with a sense of real hope in the face of real death and real brokenness and real sickness and real suffering. Lord, deliver us from placing our hope in man-made things and give us today hope in the reality of the resurrection. And Lord, I pray especially today for those who are laboring hard in the midst of this trouble, who are laboring hard in the midst of this trouble in your name and bearing witness in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a Uh, economic, uh, whatever, depression, recession, whatever it is we're in the middle of, the people who are laboring hard to bear witness to the gospel and to bring the hope of the resurrection to bear, would you comfort and strengthen and encourage them? Would you build them up and would you remind them today that their labor is not in vain because you walked out of that tomb? Lord, sink that uh, truth deep into our hearts and our lives today. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's uh, confess our sins together. Almighty God, by the power of your spirit, you have raised Jesus from the grave and crowned him Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him or acknowledged his rule in our lives. We have often persisted in ways that lead to death and failed to give him glory. Forgive us and raise us from sin that we might be your faithful people. Lift our eyes to look upon our Savior that we might live. Help us to see Jesus Christ who rules all things and is head of the church, his body. Amen. Believer, Hear these words of encouragement in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness when you were dead in your sins. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins.